You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A.com. Well, after a short break, we're returning to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah had a tough job, as you might know. He was called to be a prophet and a preacher to the kingdom of Judah at a very strategic time when when, uh, other superpowers were rising up in the region. Uh, There were a lot of domestic threats, a lot of international threats. Uh, and, and, a, and a great time in the, in the country of uh, religious uh, and spiritual decay. And, uh, and it's because of the, the, that historical situation that Jeremiah makes so much uh, sense to us today. It makes it so relevant to us today. Uh, Jeremiah was called to preach uh, in that context and he had a tough message. Uh, it was a message to return to God. You've, you've walked away from God, return to him, repent. Um, and that message was, was soundly rejected over and over and over uh, again. And, and not only was his message rejected, but, but uh, Jeremiah was also dealt with a lot of personal rejection as well. Um, and, and their failure to, to, to turn back to God ultimately led to what Jeremiah uh, said that God would uh, do, and that was to uh, allow the Babylonian Empire to come in and destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and take the population uh, into exile in Babylon. Uh, essentially, I, you know, the prophets are hard to, books to read. Uh, they're, they're often confusing. They're, they're not always chronological. The book of Jeremiah, you might say, is just really one, one, a collection of sermons. It's sort of one sermon after another, preached at different times uh, by Jeremiah, speaking God's words. And what we're going to look at today is yet another sermon from Jeremiah, at least the first part of it. Uh, and this is a sermon that was inspired by a field trip, uh, which uh, God had directed uh, Jeremiah to take. It was a field trip to a potter's workshop uh, in, in Jerusalem, and uh, uh, he, Jeremiah was going to learn some things there by observing the potter uh, that he needed to preach to his people. So we're going to, our, our text is Jeremiah 18, uh, verses 1 through 12. It's printed for you in the bulletin if you don't have a Bible with you. Uh, And if you're able uh, and willing, would you please stand for the reading of God's word. Jeremiah 18. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, arise and go down to the potter's house and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me. 
O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will build and plant it, and, it, uh, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Now therefore, say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. But they say, that is in vain. We will follow our own plans and will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. This is God's word. You may be seated. Before we unpack this word, let's ask for the Lord's help. Let's pray. God, you are a gracious God, and and you know we don't live by bread alone. So let the heavenly food of the scripture that we just read nourish us today in your ways, in in the ways of eternal life, uh, through faith in Jesus, our Lord, and the bread of heaven, we pray. Amen. I can uh, waste a lot of time on YouTube. I don't know about you guys. I find, I find two things, strangely, irresistible to watch on YouTube. Two things. One is a wood carver, woodworker, turning wood on a lathe, and the other is a potter shaping clay on his wheel. Now, I'm not, I, I know that may sound a little weird to you, but those are the videos I like to watch. Um, the, the, these aren't how-to videos. They are typically just some artist has set up a camera, and he's just showing us his project in, in real time. And uh, more often than not, there's not even any speaking in the videos. Uh, and, and you watch as you know the, the woodworker clamps in this big hunk of wood in the, on his lathe, and then and then begins to carve it as it turns, and he turns that that gnarly chunk of wood into something beautiful. Or, same with the potter, right? Putting just throwing down a big lump of clay and and shaping it into something beautiful. And I often watching it. At any point in time, I'm not exactly sure where the artist is going. I think I might think I know, and then it starts to take a different shape, and it ends up being something I wasn't expecting. But I'm always blown away by by the symmetry and the beauty of what these craftsmen create. Uh, It's a very satisfying process to watch. It's one of those things where you just feel satisfied to seeing the, 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 the finished product. Well, this potter and clay image that I watch on YouTube is what Jeremiah looked at in, in reality, in real time, 
uh, by God's command. And it's, it's a common metaphor in Scripture. You see it all over. It's not just in Jeremiah. It's all over the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, and there are two obvious truths that we are to gather from this metaphor of the potter and the clay. And the, 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 those two obvious truths are these. The first truth is that God is the creator, right? That's, that's pretty obvious. It's, and it's, it's no accident, actually, that, that the word used in Genesis 2, the Hebrew word used in Genesis 2, uh, where God, it says, God formed the man from the dust of the ground, that Hebrew word translated formed there is the same word uh, that's used here in Jeremiah 18 for describing what the potter does and what God does when he says, I am forming a plan against you, Judah. Potters turn clay into pots. God turns dust into human beings. He's the potter, we are the clay. He's the creator, you and I are the creatures. That's the first baseline truth that we, 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 we get from the pottery and the clay metaphor. The second obvious truth that we learn from it is that not only is God the creator, but he's the sovereign creator. He's sovereign, meaning that just like the potter can do with the clay whatever he wants, uh, so God can do with you whatever seems good in his eyes, Right? God is in total control of who you are, what you are, and what happens to you. That's what being sovereign means. So you get uh, Isaiah talking about this uh, this way. He says, woe to him who strives with him who formed him. Uh, one pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. <laughs> I love that. Your work has no handles. Uh, the Apostle Paul picks up that same line of reasoning in the New Testament in Romans 9 when he says, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? What it, will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump of clay one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? So those are the two obvious truths, but there's much more at, really to, to see in this potter and clay uh, image. Um, it doesn't exhaust, the, these two truths don't exhaust what we see here. And Jeremiah, this... This, uh, this little episode in Jeremiah uh, reveals three more truths that come out of this, this metaphor that I want you to see. Uh, and, and here they are. Truth number one is you, you are beautiful and useful. You are beautiful and useful. Second truth, life under God's hand is sometimes painful, but always worth it. Sometimes painful, but always worth it. And then finally, uh, I couldn't think of a better way to say it, but I will explain what I mean. The third truth is fatalism is not the right response to the sovereign creator. 
Fatalism is not the right way for you to respond to the sovereign creator. Okay, I'll unpack that when we get there. So truth number one, you're beautiful and useful. You know, for God, actually, the beautiful is useful, and the useful is beautiful. Uh, God holds beauty and utility together, and for a long time, so did human beings. And one of the ways human beings imaged God was by keeping those things together, beauty and usefulness. And that's why it's important to remember when this was happening, right? Because this is around, what, 600 B.C. or so. Uh, Jeremiah is, is, is looking, uh, watching a potter make some kind of vessel. Now, I understand potter was very important back then because virtually everything they used was made of clay, right? Whether you, uh, there were dishes you ate off of or dishes you cooked in or vessels that you stored things in or moved things around in. It was all made of clay. But all of those things not only were useful, but they were also beautiful, right? The, the, uh, beautiful in its shape, beautiful in its glaze, beautiful in its painted designs, right? Beautiful in its colors. It, you've been to museums and, and seen collections of ancient uh, pottery where you, you see common things, right? Cups, plates, uh, bowls. Uh, and, and not only are they useful and not only were they used usefully, uh, but they are also beautiful, right? They, they reflect the, 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 the beauty uh, of, uh, of an artist's hand. Uh, and there's the, a the reason why, right, the most highly valued uh, antiques that have appeared on NPR's Antiques Roadshow um, are, are uh, you know, common things like cups, bowls, teapots, uh, vases, rugs, and uh, watches. I looked that up. It's amazing some of the values that you find in your trash. Uh, but uh, uh, those things are valued not just because they're old, but because they're works of art, right? Even though they were used for common things, they, they were still works uh, of art. Uh, but that's not so much true anymore, is it? In, in our day, uh, we might miss this linkage between beauty and utility because we've kind of pulled them apart, right? Um, think about what you use in the kitchen. Tupperware. Right? Glad bags. Right? High on utility, right? They work great. Uh, but pretty low on the artistic scale, right? Hard to imagine those appearing in a museum, uh, you know, a few centuries from now. Um, or go downtown into any big city, right? Uh, compare, compare buildings, say, built in the 1800s versus buildings built today or built since the 1950s, say, right? The... the uh, you know, you, could, you can tell, I mean, and again, I know artistic opinion is involved here, but you can at least tell on these old buildings that a lot of care was taken, a lot of extra detail added to make them beautiful, right? 
whereas a lot of modern uh, buildings today reflect an architecture that, that, that celebrates utility, right? There, there's, there's, not, there's not a lot of obvious beauty. It's very, they're very useful, but, but, but not, to, you know, again, high in utility, kind of low on artistic value. I'll show my age here. Uh, uh, Joni Mitchell. Some of you guys will remember Joni Mitchell, right? Her, one of her fav famous songs is Big Yellow Taxi, which uh, uh, I can't even recite. I'm not going to sing it, but I can't even recite it hardly without singing it. Uh, but, but, but that hit of Joni Mitchell was written in the 60s, uh, it, and it was inspired by a trip to Hawaii where, where she'd gone to Honolulu and was kind of reflecting on the unfortunate uh, side effects of urban sprawl in, in, a, uh, in a beautiful place like Hawaii. And, and one of the verses goes uh, like this, they took all the trees, put them in a tree museum, and they charged the people a dollar and a half just to see them. And then the chorus, don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? You know what the next line is? They pave paradise and put up a parking lot, right? Um, see, I couldn't help singing. Um, separating usefulness and beauty, right? Do, parking lot's useful, necessary. Uh, but doing the parking lot in such a way that the beauty that was where the parking lot was is now put into a museum, right? So you, we've separated usefulness and beauty, but all this to say is that that's not what God does, and that's that's the point He's making when He's likening Himself to a potter in Jeremiah's day, who made things useful and beautiful, because that's what God does. And when He, and so He's reminding you, teaching you right now that as a person, as a human being formed by him in his image, you right now are both beautiful and useful. That's a message we need to hear. As the, the, uh, the late great Ethel Waters, uh, once an African-American entertainer, uh, said, uh, a believer, uh, she once said, I am someone because God don't make no junk. And again, that's, a, that's something we need to know, we need to internalize, we need to believe. And all of us do, but I want to particularly talk to you young people here, those of you in school, grammar school, high school, college, right? You're, you're learning a lot about the world. You're learning a lot about yourself. You're growing into uh, adulthood. Uh, you are uh, thinking about, uh, you know, who you are and what you're going to do. And you've got people speaking into your life, uh, teachers and, and, and a lot of peers speaking into your life. And some of the times your peers, your friends say good things, kind things, but oftentimes they say mean things and ugly things and, and things that aren't true uh, uh, about you. Um, listen, in the eyes of the only one whose opinion really matters, you need to know 
that you're beautiful and you're useful, that you're precious in his eyes, right? Um, now, some of you are going to, you may not say it right now, but you're thinking it. You're thinking, well, yeah, Pastor Ted, that's fine, but the reality is I'm not beautiful, right? I don't have the body shape or the face of the popular kids at my school. I don't look like uh, uh, the social media influencers. Um, and I don't have a lot of gifts and skills, right? I've, my friends are better at, 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 at everything, whether it's art or, uh, or athletics. I just don't seem to have gifts and skills that other people know I have. So don't tell me I'm, both, I'm beautiful and useful. But listen, I want you to hear that that response, if that's how you're responding to this, you're ignoring the biggest component of reality of all, and that's the Lord. You're ignoring the divine reality behind who you are. Here, listen to what, how one theologian put it. He said, he said it this way. There is no human being who is not useful with a part to play in what God is doing. No human being who's not useful with a part to play in what God is doing. And there is no human being who is not unique, who's not beautiful with special lines and colors and forms distinct from anyone else. So listen, people. Listen, especially young people. Be who God made you. Don't listen to the culture. Don't listen to your own opinion. Don't listen to the opinions of your friends. Listen to the Lord. Let Jesus and his love define you the way he made you define you. Let how he made you define you. You are beautiful and useful. Every one of you in here. Okay? That's truth number one. Truth number two. That doesn't mean life's going to be a walk in the park, being beautiful and useful. Sometimes, truth number two, life under God's hand is sometimes painful, but it's always worth it. You know, think about what's happening. Visualize what's happening when a potter is, takes a shapeless lump of clay, right, throws it on that wheel and then begins to shape it under his hand, right, to shape it. And it's, it's really fun to watch, right? He has to squeeze it, push it, pull it, prod it, right? Uh, poke it, pinch it, throw water on it constantly. Have you ever watched that? That we were just, spec some of the elders were, and I were just speculating on how great Ruby did in the baptism. You know, we're, and they're wondering whether, whether that has something to do with the, being the youngest child. Right, the youngest child used to getting poked and prodded, and right, to having big big brothers or sisters throw stuff on them and stuff like that. Yeah, so it's like no big deal. Um, maybe so, uh, but you know that's that's what the, the potter is doing with with the clay. Um, and uh, if the clay could talk, right at that moment, it would it would you know probably complain about what the potter's doing to it, right? Uh, but without all that violence to the clay, uh, the, it, it will never turn into the beautiful vase that's in the mind of the potter, right? 
It, it has to undergo all that, all that manipulation, all that poking, prodding, pushing, pulling. It won't by itself turn into that vase, and neither will you, right? If God left you alone, uh, you wouldn't by yourself turn into the, the, the person, the, the full stature, the full beauty, the full utility of the person that God has in mind that you're going to be. So he puts you through trials, right? He puts you in, in positions, we can all talk, relate to this, right? You get placed in a position where you don't feel like you have the strength or the resources to deal with it. You feel totally overwhelmed, underarmed, so you have to trust in the Lord, right? He'll walk you through situations that, that knock you down, that knock down your pride, that kick out from under you the, the things that you trust in, the things that you lean on, so that you'll lean on the Lord. Not pleasant, it's hard. Uh, I, I was, as I was thinking about this, I remembered another, same lesson, other image that uh, C.S. Lewis talked about um, in Mere Christianity. I've, I've, I've used this quote before, but it's, a perf it's perfectly uh, perfect for this spot right here. Uh, C.S. Lewis writes, imagine yourself as a living house, right? God comes in to rebuild that house. Uh, at first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing, right? He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks uh, in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably uh, and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? Well, the explanation is that he's building quite a different house than from the one you thought of. Right? Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but God's building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. So we're going to get knocked around. We're going to, you know, it's, but, but without it, we're not going to experience divine transformation or growth. And the other thing I want you to see here is something that's implied in, in Lewis's illustration about remodeling a house. Because what, when Jeremiah looks at the potter and the clay, it's not so much about creation, it's about recreation, isn't it? It's not so much about making, but remaking. Uh, the... Uh, uh, look at verse 4, right? As the potter is, is working the clay, he says, the vessel gets spoiled. Now, but the thing to note here, and, and the key thing that you're supposed to pick up, is that the potter doesn't do what you might think. He doesn't th throw away the clay, right? He doesn't kick over his wheel in frustration and walk out of the room, right? He doesn't quit on the clay. What does he do? Verse 4, into verse 4, he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. Now, to rework the clay, right, he has to do the same thing he had to do to, in, in originally working, work it, right? He has to push it, pull it, prod it, stretch it, uh, knock it around. So why is that encouraging? It's encouraging because what this means, listen, friends, 
both as, a, as individuals and even as a nation, we can't blow it. You can't blow it beyond God's ability to fix it. God is going to work on you and is able to make you into the person he wants you to be even though you have sinned terribly, even though you have walked away from God, even though you have cursed God, even though you have, like so many people in our culture, essentially lived most of your life just ignoring God. None of that, none of what you might think would stand in the way of God reworking you will stand in the way. There isn't anything about you that God can't rework. God doesn't give up on you. He, he's in the beauty of making, he's in the business of, of making beauty from ashes. Right? And the ultimate proof and demonstration of that is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Right? Jesus took all the mess of his people onto himself. He took all your mess, all your sin, all your guilt, all your shame, all your failures, all your ingratitude, all your ignoring of him. He took all of it and allowed himself to come under God's judgment for your sin, for your mess, right? He was, as Isaiah said, crushed for your iniquities. But the good news of the gospel is, right, that Jesus didn't stay crushed. Death could not hold the Son of God. God would not, would not uh, uh, allow his Son to stay crushed like some misshapen lump of clay. So on the third day, uh, in power by the Holy Spirit, God raised Jesus from the dead indicating that his sacrifice on your behalf was accepted and, and giving you a roadmap for your life, knowing that if Jesus rose, if you are connected to him by faith, if you believe in him, if you accept his life and death for, for your sins, then you will also rise from your sins and rise from your death and become the blessed forever person that God has always intended you to be. So is life sometimes painful under God's hand? Yes. Often. But is it worth it? Absolutely. Is eternity worth it? Yeah. It's worth it. So finally, truth number three. And I, I, I want to get to this because some of you are probably thinking about this uh, and, the, and the truth is this, fatalism is not the right response to the sovereign creator. You know what fatalism is? Right, fatalism is, is, is believing that since all events are in control of, of, of a higher power, right, uh, then what's gonna happen to you, since what's gonna happen to you is already been determined, it's therefore inevitable, so that the only thing you can do is face the future with an attitude of resignation. You know, sort of a case sarah, sarah, what will be will be, doesn't matter what I do, doesn't matter what you do, since everything is predetermined. 
Some of you may have thought, well, that doesn't that isn't that the natural response to the truth of you know, a sovereign God who's shaping us the way he wants us to be shaped? Well, no, that's not right. I mean, that's a serious misunderstanding of the way the potter, the divine potter works. Um, and I'll tell you right now, there's mystery here. I can't fully explain this, but, but let me tell you what the biblical truth is. Because this is where the potter and clay metaphor breaks down a bit, right? Because if you look at just the potter and the clay, right, the clay is, is a lifeless, shapeless lump of clay, right? You're not, right? Uh, you, you are a living being, right? You are in the image of God. And you have abilities that a lump of clay doesn't. You have the ability and the responsibility to make decisions. And your decisions matter. You are a responsible moral agent. You have decisions to make and there are consequences for those decisions. Your decisions matter. What you do based on your decisions matters, has consequences. And somehow, and here's the mystery, right? God is able to take your free moral decisions, what you decide to do, and take those into account in working out his will for you. So that somehow his sovereign will is not compromised or affected or diluted or changed by what you do and what you decide even though your decisions are real and have real consequences, right? I don't get it, right? There's mystery here, but it's all over the Bible. Every, you see this everywhere. It's, and, and the Bible's teaching is consistent on this point. God is 100% sovereign, and you are 100% responsible for your actions and your decisions and for the consequences of your actions and decisions. And somehow God holds those two things together without compromising his sovereignty. So, uh, what does that mean? Well, it means uh, that a call to repent is, a, is, is really a call to repent. It's something we need to hear, we need to, and we need to act upon. That's what this whole sermon that Jeremiah is giving is about, really all his sermons. We're calling these people to change their mind, to change their direction, and turn back from the direction they're going and start following God again. Look at verses 7 through 10. Now here he's talking about nations. This would apply to individuals, but it also applies to nations, right? So this is, this is a good, good thing for our country to hear. If at any time, God says, verse 7, I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, it repents, right? I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. Now, God is speaking to us in ways we can comprehend, right? That sounds like God says, I'll change my mind. And in, in a way he is, but in another much more important way he isn't, right? It's, he's, because his mind, his, his sovereign will is decreed from all eternity. That doesn't change. 
but somehow woven into his sovereign decreed will is the fact that, that you have repented and that God in response to your repentance has, does not do the promised disaster against you. And then the flip side is true. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will build and plant it, right? Make it prosperous. And if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I intended to do it. So see, hear what Jeremiah is saying, right? How you respond to God, how we respond to God as a nation matters. There are consequences. It makes a difference. And God's warning the people through Jeremiah here in verse 11 that, uh, you know, in effect, he says, what, I am molding a plan against you, right? There's that word. Like a potter, I am shaping a plan against you because you've rejected me. But you can stop that plan from going into effect. That's what, that's what God is saying. Turn back to me. Repent. Well, they don't, of course. And, and the inevitable happens. For verse 12, they, they double down on their independence from God. They double down on their rebellion. They double down on their, their, their own supposed sovereignty and autonomy and say, no, we want to live our lives without interference from you. And they pay the consequences of that decision, right? The threatened punishment happens. Jerusalem is, uh, is invaded it's destroyed, the temple is destroyed, and the Babylonian Empire takes the population into exile for 70 years. But that's not the end of the story. Right? God disciplines his people. Uh, but God's discipline, God's judgment is, is not the last word. Um, God, God's Judgment is not his final word. It's a remnant. There's always a remnant. Always a, a group of people who who finally get it right and okay. Oh God, I'm going to repent. We're going to return, and 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 that happened, of course. And a faithful remnant returned to the Lord, and in returning to the Lord, he returned them to Israel after 70 years and allowed them to rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. Right? God does not ultimately abandon you. He doesn't ultimately abandon his people. Friends, he will save those who turn back to him. In closing here, um, I just, I, I want to say, because I'm sensitive to it, I've got a finely tuned ear to political correctness. As one who speaks publicly, I have to be, be, be careful on how I say things and how things I, what things I say, how they're perceived. And I realize a call to repentance sounds biblical, <laughs> sounds quaint, sounds sort of old-fashioned, sounds moralistic kind of connotes a heavy-handed view uh, of God, that, that God is this, some stern, remote God up there demanding that you turn to him and obey, right? But nothing could be further from the truth. The call for you 
the call for our nation to turn back to God comes only after the fact that God first turned to you. That's what Dr. Pickard so beautifully preached last Sunday. And if you missed his sermon, I would urge you to, to listen to it. it to, unpacking the, the, the blessing in, in, uh, in number six, the ironic blessing in number six, right? God, to, in order to make his face shine upon you by being gracious to you, what did he do? He turned to you and freely gave you his son, Right? As, as your rescuer and as your Lord. As Dr. Pickard so beautifully put it, right? God looked you in the eye, right? Lifted up our faces as he lifted up his face, looked us in the eye and gave us peace with him through Jesus Christ, through his cross, right? By willingly dying on the cross, Jesus made peace with God for you and for me. So friends, it, your decisions matter. So whether you're a Christian today and you need to repent, you've, you've fallen away from God's grace. You've sinned and, oh, and you're, you're sensing an alienation from your father because you, you have sinned and you haven't confessed it and you haven't turned back to him. Whether that's you or whether you're, you are not a Christian and you've, you, you, you need to repent and turn to God for the first time. Your decision matters. Your decisions have consequences. Make the right decision. If you need to repent, repent. Turn to the Lord who has already so graciously turned to you. And because he's turned to you, you, you can know, and his turning to you involved the life and death and obedience of his son, that he is not going to turn you away when you turn to him. He turns no one away who turns to him. So don't double down, friends, on your supposed sovereignty, your supposed autonomy. It's an illusion. You don't have sovereignty. You don't have autonomy. God does. He's the sovereign creator. But he's also our rescuer and our gracious Lord. Lose your life, Jesus says, and you'll find it. Right? You'll find it in Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, amazing lesson that Jeremiah learned from a very common thing in his day, a potter throwing a pot, um, and help us to learn the same lessons um, and to really internalize them and live out of the truth of, of who we are as, as people fashioned and refashioned by your hand. Help us to bear up under that molding, Father. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's painful. You know it is. But you are, you are helping us, shaping us to reach our full stature and potential as people made in the image of God. Thank you for sending us Jesus. Help us to believe. We pray in his name. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California or online at newlifepca.com. 
Uli Presbyterian Church Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.